And there were vast differences, for example, between the Asians and blacks uh, in terms of how many got high mass uh, grades. What struck me was that for both the Asians and the Africans, the number of uh, hours that you spent working or doing homework in math was almost identical with the same percentage who got high grades in math. So that whether you are black or Chinese, if you spend an awful lot of time on the math, you're going to be doing better than the person who's not. And although there were great disparities, the disparities were differences in how much time you spend on math homework. Well, then conversely, Dr. Soule, are you not saying that groups who do not overachieve are groups who don't work hard enough? Sometimes, but sometimes the government itself makes it impossible or very difficult for groups to work hard enough. Uh, the minimum wage law is one classic example. Occupational licensing laws are another. Insofar as the school system fails, those groups that don't have an independent educational tradition are, in, are, are lost. Whereas if you have that independent tradition, even if you go to a bad school, if the parents can help you, uh, if you get the maximum that you possibly can from the books and so on, uh, you still may achieve quite a lot. So it's a combination. It is, it, is, it is the culture, but at the same time, insofar as the society puts barriers, particularly the government, which has tremendous power, and supplies education and other kinds of things, insofar as they do that, they make it tougher for you to do it. Well, are you, do you suspect that you may be guilty of de-emphasizing the effects of racism in that, in that pattern? There's always, everything is a possibility. But as I look at the data, I don't find any correlation between the degree of racism and the degree to which groups advance. That is, if you look at the history of the Chinese in Southeast Asia, uh, the hostility they have encountered there will compare with any hostility blacks have encountered here. Uh, there have been a number of occasions in the history of Southeast Asia where the number of Chinese killed in a few days exceeded all the blacks lynched in the history of the United States. So they are enormously hated. What about Jews? You, you the Jews, of course, the same, the same thing has happened with the Jews in numerous times. Thousands kill here, thousands kill there. And of course, under the Nazis, millions killed. The groups, incidentally, which have suffered the most violence, and I use that as one index of group hostility or racism, those groups have typically been middleman minorities. The Chinese, the Jews, the Armenians, uh, the Igbos in Nigeria, 30,000 of those were killed in massacres uh, just uh, within our time. Um, and yet I don't find any correlation in the long run between the economics uh, and the political hostility. All right, let's get back to the primary criticism uh, of your book made by a, a writer I really respect, William Raspberry, syndicated columnist. He says that you make these points, but you don't say what we should do. What we should first of all do is understand what does and does not work. I don't consider myself to be a policymaker, despite what the media may try to say. I consider myself to be someone who tries to supply facts so that those who do make policy will know what they're talking about, as they usually do not. That's Dr. Thomas Sell uh, discussing in the 80s the differences between ethnicity, income inequality, and culture uh, with respect to racism and your ability to advance despite it. So today, Chris and I are going to discuss a few things. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about the dark triad, what that is, uh, what our results are, where it fits into the, the soft community, virtue signaling, and sort of the greater impact it has on uh, what we're seeing in the, in the news today with all the protests and all of the corporate communism and uh, corporate revolution. Then I'm, we're going to talk about how we got to our political philosophy today. We're going to talk about some, some of the stuff that we've been reading and consuming. And then we're just going to go around and uh, discuss a topic of interest to each of us. So, first, an, an article published in Reason, which says free minds and free markets, they seem pretty libertarian to me. They're calling feds jackbooted thugs. Um, <clears throat> the feds in Portland, even though uh, the federal government has the right to enforce law. Um, they published an article, narcissists, psychopaths, and manipulators are more likely to engage in virtuous victim signaling. Um, so the consequences and predictors of emitting signals of victim put in virtual virtue, this was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology was a very diverse paper uh, written in the University of British Columbia in Canada by Ekin Ock, 
Yi Kian, Kian, Brendan Strekzik, and Carl Aquino. I guarantee that is not how any of them uh, say their names. But um, they conducted multiple studies. What are their conclusions? Uh, people that are more psychopathic, manipulative, and narcissistic are more likely to be virtuous victims and frequent signalers of that. So they, you take this dark triad personality test. And it tests Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. Chris, what were the results that you got when you took it? So I got um, I got a 1.8 for narcissism. I got a 2.7 for Machiavellianism. And I got a 1.9 for psychopathy. Um, what that means for the percentage and compared to other people that took the test. Uh, for narcissism, I was in the 15th percentile. Machiavellianism, I was in the 46th percentile. And psychopathy, I was in the 17th percentile. So Machiavellianism is a, uh, a, is a personality psychology trait. It's a psychological trait. And um, it centers, centers on the ability to be manipulative, um, have an unemotional coldness, uh, coldness and an indifference to morality. Um, so the reason why um, it's tested is because people that are Machiavellian are more likely to be able to manipulate others. So you didn't test 100%. Means you're not a, a complete uh, a complete manipulator of the people and with you know a moral manipulator. But you're not a virtuous victim signaler either because your other two traits are low. Everybody's going to have some some kind of place on this dark triad. You're not going to be nowhere on it. Um, I think it's really common and go ahead. The uh, caveat to that is where you really start looking at people where these uh, really fall into the dark triad is above 70%. So 70th percentile and above is really where you want to start asking questions in the, the, these regards as far as somebody's um, you know, psycho makeup. Sure. I mean, the ability within, within soft to be able to um, coldly manipulate others is sort of part of exactly what our unit was designed to do to be able to go right. in work alongside foreign forces we're not manipulating them we're there to support them but we're there for our own reasons we're not there just because it's the morally correct thing to do but also because it it benefits the united states right and so being and having a little bit of machiavellianism is probably wise having a little bit of psychopathy too because there are times when we found that our partners overseas are, are not as evolved as us culturally. Um, and they don't have the same moral standards. Casual murder in the military, um, it might be, it might be um, common there. A good example is, I know a guy that was in East Africa and um, they were in a convoy. The convoy driver passed out at the wheel and crashed. And the African commander was so angry at the driver, he murdered him right there on the spot. Right. And that, that being able to turn off your morality uh, in that situation is, is crucial. I mean, it's part of what we do. It, it, in Robin Sage, I don't know about you, but I went through a scenario in which um, I had to step away from the partner force when they were going to do something I had advised them not to do. I think it was the scenario was like a murder. They were um, extrajudicially killing a soldier who had committed some kind of wrong, right? And um, uh, I, you know, I tried to advise them against it. As, you know, we talked about moral high ground, talked about the law. They didn't, they weren't interested. So we had to distance ourselves, but that doesn't right. mean we could, we could just walk out. We ran into the same scenario in my lane and it was it was a you know it was a revenge killing it was a tit for tat mm. sort of thing um, yeah in, in, in the public eye you know as public as it could be there same thing advise um let them know your thoughts and, and ultimately they make the final decision to walk away with what happened you'd think that would fall right in line with like people's political philosophy today um the people that we're talking about in case you hadn't gathered already uh chris and i are not on the left we're not leftists um, we, we push back firmly against the, the, the Marxism that's going on today in, and it has totally gripped corporate America, uh, the Democrat Party. Um, all of the protest movements are 
um, have, have digested this Marxist philosophy. Um, and it's actually the, the social version, the socialist philosophy that our country stratified by social injustice and social class, right? the, vi- the victimhood people. Um, you'd think that th- that philosophy, being able to um, turn, be, you know, selectively indifferent, would to to uh, to a, that foreign culture. That's their culture. You'd think that that would line right up because um, I'm supposed to believe that all cultures are equally good. That no culture is better than any other. That um, that the cultural equivalence principle says that when people come to this country it's not because it's great or because they value it but because um, they're here to get jobs and integrating into our culture doesn't matter at all uh, even though Thomas Sowell has pointed out that over over you know as, as, as long as we've been collecting data it appears to indicate that disadvantage has nothing to do with race and it has everything to do with culture that's why right. people people leave uh, the countries in which they're the poorest minority. They come to America and suddenly they're out of poverty within a single generation. African Americans, I mean, people from Africa that were born there this, you know, in their lifetime and then moved to America don't stay in poverty. Asian Americans, uh, Indian Americans don't stay in poverty. And that's because if it were race, if it were their pure ethnicity, they wouldn't, they, they were poor where they came from, they would stay poor, and that's not the case. Um, but for some reason, I, I'm sure that um, people that, that go along with this kind of idea and say, well, we have to be selectively indifferent. I see a lot of guys from our community can't see the difference between that and enforcing the law in America. Because they, for some reason, they can choose right or wrong overseas, then they get home and they can't see the difference between anarchy and federal law enforcement. And, and how how federal law enforcement going out and enforcing the law is not um, is not jackbooted stormtroopers. I don't get I don't get the disparity, and I know it has to do with libertarianism, but I think that um, it's an incomplete understanding of American history. I think they think that the founding fathers meant for just you know states' rights above all else. The federal government didn't doesn't intervene at all, even though they they, they wrote plenty of stuff about why you why you're supposed to um why the federal government has to be rigorous limited yes but rigorous i explained that before um i don't know what do you, do you have any thoughts on that i mean you've seen it throughout um you know history even in even in the last hundred years you know you look at you look at the document the naked communist um and, and those who aren't uh, familiar with that basically um it was 1963. There was a congressman out of Florida, I believe his, I believe his name was Albert um, Herlong. Fact check that, but he read a list of the 45 communist goals um, in front of Congress. It was read into the congressional record, mm-hmm. and the original list was derived from a researcher named uh, Cleon Skousen, uh, titled the, "The Naked Communist." And it's worth revisiting, um, you know, this list today to see what was happening back then um but there are there are uh, there are specific you know line items in that in that list of goals of the communist party that are all very relevant today um, yeah it's like Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals correct correct so I just pulled up the document I was correct about that um that congressman that, that read it in um but, you know, goal 22, continue discrediting American culture mm-hmm. by degrading all form of artistic expression. Mm-hmm. All right. That, that, that's a big one. Uh, number 25, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity mm-hmm. in books, magazines, motion pictures. We see let me explain. The, let me explain. So, all right. Got, first of all, what is culture? Culture, culture is anything that, um, that can't be legislated but that we enforce as a society. So mm-hmm. for example, it used to be the culture is you don't step outside of your house in your underwear or in your night clothing. Um, and that wasn't a law. I mean, I'm sure you could find cases in which somebody was charged with indecent exposure, et cetera, but that's, sure. not a, but that's not a law. You can go outside of your house wearing anything but being naked. But nowadays, 
our culture, it used to say, it used to be firmly against it. If you went outside people, like that's unacceptable and you would get shamed by your friends and your family. Nowadays, it's completely acceptable. So right. why assault a, a, assault a country's culture? Because if you destroy the culture and you destroy their equivalence principle, there's nothing that can't be enforced. And, and, and there's nothing that can be enforced that, that, does it, that falls outside of government. Because the ultimate goal for these people is to be authoritarian and totalitarian. They want complete control. They want control of the means of production. They want control of what you can say, what you can, what sort of media you can consume, what types of thought and speech are acceptable. And, and if they destroy our extra judicial and extra legislative processes, our culture, they can take that over. They can hand you the new religion. Correct. That's my theory. Yeah, I think out of out of these goals, you know, there, there, there's one in particular that stands out and it's to create the impression that violence and insurrection are legitimate aspects of the American tradition, that students and special interest groups should rise up and make a, quote, united force to solve economic, political or social problems. And basically, this just describes the, you know, kind of the fostering of group consciousness and conflict, mm. which furthers the interests of overall authoritarianism. Yeah. When the Iranians wanted to take over Iran from the Shah in uh, the 70s, they used the students. Um, they, they co-opted the education system. They radicalized all the students. They did exactly what Chris just mentioned. And if you look back at the Iran hostage crisis and all of that kind of stuff, all of those people were um, described as students that were radically um, loyal to the Ayatollah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same reason why um, the education system in America has been co-opted. Yuri Bezmenov in 84, 1984, and if you have never seen this, I encourage you to go watch Yuri Bezmenov's Warning to America. We'll link it later in, in the description where we, where we host this podcast. But he said that, Marxism and Leninism is being pumped into the heads of small children in America unchallenged for decades. And that was in, in 1984, and it began in the 60s, and he, know, he knew because he was a KGB officer that did this in India. He had a, he had a moral falling out with what, what he was doing when he found out that everybody that he had been talking to and, and uh, trying to man- manipulate on behalf of the Soviet Union was going to be murdered in the revolution in India that they were trying to create. Um, so Chris, what, what led you to, I, you know, people call it the red pill. It's a reference to the movie, the matrix. Um, mm-hmm. What was, what was your moment? Three minutes. What was your moment that you woke up? And said, I, I feel like I, I've just learned that I've been lied to. So I, I think a lot of people, uh, regardless of their standing in the military, if you've traveled the world, and you've got to see and live in other cultures, especially among indigenous people, like the majority of soft do on, you know, a yearly or bi-yearly basis, um, you, you get removed from the bubble of what America is and what, what your little kind of cookie cutter life looks like in America. And you're mm-hmm. kind of thrown into the fire um, mm-hmm. to, you know, meet them, learn about them, uh, learn their ways, their customs, see how they live. Uh, for me, it was... Um, uh, when I went to Africa and seeing what that way of life looked like, seeing, you know, good, decent human beings um, really working for a cause greater than themselves and looking at all of the challenges that they go through. So it made me research a lot more on, you know, the different, the different areas of the world, the different classes that these people live in, the different um, you know, maybe uh, governments, dictatorships, whatever they live under and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And to be able to compare that to what I've had and what I've grown up in and then kind of be thrown into that new world of the way the rest of the world lives was eye opening for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that that's really that, that was really my red pill moment when I started to not look at what I what I saw at face value, but to really, you know, let that image sink into my mind, but then dig deeper as to what what the root causes of problems are, what these people are really dealing with, you know, stuff, stuff on that level. True abject poverty, true oppression. When the cops are not your friends, when you don't call police officer because you know when they show up, they'll extort you, they might murder you. 
that is a reality in those countries that the statistics and the facts bear out that they do not bear out here in America. And that's what, that's what opened your eyes. Here's, here's, here's one example. Would you ever roll around on a low vis operation in a foreign country without that, a, a pocket full of that country's currency? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to pay yeah. off police to get out I was of extorted situation. yeah I, I i i was extorted in africa by a cop um because he saw that we were white and he knew that if he pulled us over and threatened to arrest us and arrest our driver that uh who was a black guy that um we would we would more more than likely pay him to get out of that situation and, and we did yep and that was purely because um because of our because of our race, because of the cops there are not your friends. They're just drawing a paycheck. Um, and I mean, you can look at some of the, you know, some of the countries over there, um, there's true hopelessness. There's no such thing as, as come getting out of your, your economic class. Uh, it doesn't exist. There's no. the people that own the country and then there's everybody else. And I think that's a good point. I mean, I look at people all the time in America and I can't understand how they can believe that they themselves are oppressed, you know, in fact, they've never seen, that's a good point. Right. I mean, the Africans that I spoke with talked, told me that it bothered them that Americans thought that they were oppressed. Right. Um, Mine, I was sitting in the, in a medical clinic at Fort Bragg and I'd already been in the army and had already been to selection and I was reading, um, of sitting, you know, in the TMC waiting for, uh, waiting for your, like, whatever, you know, your physical that you have to get done periodically. I think it was my dive physical or something like that. And I was just, you know, kind of looking around, read, you have nothing to do but read what's on the wall. Right. And there was, um, a medal of honor citation for a Vietnam era for a guy who fought in Vietnam. And, and it had a blurb under his award citation in which he talked about how proud he was of Vietnam has service in Vietnam and I, and it blew me away. And I already, I've already been in the army for two years, three years at that point. Sure. And I, I couldn't believe that people were proud of Vietnam. And the only thing I knew about Vietnam, I thought was that it was this horrific misadventure that it was nothing but drugs and murder and prostitutes. And then I, I realized that the reason I had that perception is because the only thing I'd ever known about Vietnam was movies. Correct. And TV shows. And though the more I looked into it, I thought, oh, okay, I see. It was a response to the spread of communism. Mm-hmm. And then I, 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 I started to learn more and more. And um, that was the moment that I realized that I had been, I had been lied to and manipulated. Not long after that, I heard um, uh, while sitting in, in, on a break during language school in my truck, I, listened, I heard um, Rush Limbaugh come on the EIB network. They're on the AMs on the AM dial at Bragg, and okay. uh, he started talking, and I was just like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, I agree with that too. Oh, I agree with that." It's the moment I realized that I was more conservative than I than I knew. I didn't know what that word meant even. That's how little I was educated in 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 political philosophy by my family. Came with mm-hmm. absolutely no programming, left, right, or up or down. Other than be kind to people, be a good person you know, value, truth, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, what are you reading? I take it, I know you're reading uh, The Naked Communist. What else are you reading? <laughs> so I, I bought a book about a month ago that I am 35 pages into just because of the lack of time that I have. Mm-hmm. But it is uh, a book called A Handful of Hard Men. It is, it is not uh, a pornographic book, although the <laughs> title may sway you differently it's written by a guy named hans wessels and it's the story of the sas and the battle for rhodesia um it is it, it's a phenomenal book so far it's, it's a I biography want you, I, I want you to come back later and i want you to to spend a, a, an episode talking with me about the difference between rhodesia and south africa and Absolutely. the difference between the rhodesian government and the apartheid South African government, because mm-hmm. I, I did a, a good faith appraisal. Okay. Went back and looked at the laws that were on the books and the ways that they were enforced in South Africa. And I'm like, okay, yep. they were segregationist. They were 
what we would consider today to be unfair and unjust. And, right. and it's good that it went away. And there is a difference between them and Rhodesia and people don't understand it. And so people that read about Rhodesia have to sort of do it in whispered circles um, because they're afraid of being um, labeled uh, white supremacists and racists mm -hmm. and apartheid Absolutely. supporters. So I want to, I want to talk about that uh, like in, so in a future episode. Like so many things it ends up, it ends up being the exact opposite yeah. of, of what you're being fed. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, isn't the, the new government in Zimbabwe, weren't they communist? Yes. It's almost as if a particular political philosophy has a really good grip on on the media and the narrative and the way that people think yeah, something i want to something i want to touch on more i think that's abundant and i think that <laughs> that that you know the more you dig into it especially over this 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 last year well, we could even say since the beginning of of uh trump's presidency mm -hmm. that that there are a lot more people taking that overdrive that pill. yeah yeah they're, they're, i mean they're the, really digging they really yeah um it seemed like and i was not somebody who I read a lot and I, and I listened a lot and I would try to be very fair. And I, and I, and I've, I've always been an outsider. I've always been a, 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 the, not the one in the group think because I grew mm -hmm. up on the outside of that stuff just by, by my nature. I came from a multiracial non-Christian family with gays and all sorts of stuff. I grew up in the South and I was never part of what everybody else was. I always saw myself as like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not part of that mm -hmm. because I always heard their jokes. And I thought, well, that's uh that's, my parents or that's my aunt and uncle like they're talking about stuff they're talking about is it, it, it's at me not with me and so i grew up not not thinking about that kind of stuff and so come 2016 this kind of stuff didn't sink in for me until i saw them throw the levers of manipulation and obfuscation and just downright lying into overdrive when donald trump won right i had no idea it was, just it was impressive. It was, it was an impressive go. It, it really was. Mm -hmm. You can think whatever you want about him as a person, um, but people that think he's stupid, I, I can't get that. I can't get behind that. I can just look at the, the evidence. He had every single thing in America working against him. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he still won. So think what you want about him uh, you know, as a, as a, as from a moral standpoint or whatever, but he is not dumb. Um. I'm reading. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a couple of books. I'm listening. I like science books. Kind of take me out of all this. I, I, I consume so much of it. Sometimes I got to kind of pull myself out of it. Yeah. And so I'm listening. I'm listening to a book about the planets and the solar system, and it's called The Planets by Brian Cox okay. and and another guy. Um, Brian Cox. I don't know if you've ever watched like a Joe Rogan or or seen any of these um, science. You know, a scientist explains science. Uh, right. videos he's just one of these guys he's a he's a british guy he he just re, you know he you can tell he loves it and he has this like childish wonder for the things that he learns and he explains really well and so sometimes i'll sit quietly and i'll i'll turn this book on to try to pull my mind out of all the all the madness yeah that's good that you have you know an author that's able to explain it that way because I'm, I'm one sure. of those people that needs a picture painted yeah we get real well, deep. Like I, I read some Carl Sagan and, you know, mm -hmm. you get stuff like that and you really start researching it and you're like, Geez, this is really over my head. You know, I'm sure I'm just a, just a nug. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm well, so, you know, I, I heard a scientist recently explain this. He was trying to explain to Joe Rogan, his name's uh, Eric Weinstein, who I don't care for as a person politically, but he was, you know, he was, he, I do care for what he was trying to explain. Um, here to to joe he was talking about this thing called um i don't even remember the word for it and it he said it's the most important object in in the universe and he has a picture of it and it's like a, some kind of 4d it was impossible to explain he said it would take me a, a few hours to sit here and talk you through it and once you did you'd understand it he said you have to be able to visualize this stuff because okay. humans are visual it's it's not that we're it's not that you're you lack in the capability of understanding it. it's that we we see our even when you imagine something like imagine yourself doing some kind of driving down the street or or walking your dog you see those things in your head in your mind's eye and so being able to visualize some of this stuff is is uh 
is super important. Yeah. He can really kind of paint that, paint that picture and kind of take you there. But even still, I'll stop this book and I'll go look up what the hell he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the moons of Saturn. And so blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I, it means nothing. To, it's just words until I go look up a photo. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what do you, what do you, uh, what, what's important to you right now? What's on your mind? What topic? Give me, give me something. What's on your mind? What's, what's been, what have you been chewing on the last few days? So some, something I've been digging into a lot lately is, um, you know, you see a lot of it on social media. You see a lot of things going on and, and um, uh, it kind of leads back to all of this, uh, this Pizzagate stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but you know, well, let me, let me explain. So in around 2016, um, John Podesta, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, received an email with a link and it said, click to change your password or something like that. Anyway, he clicked it and it turned out to be a hack. Okay. Right. So John Podesta's emails were hacked and they found themselves on um, the WikiLeaks website. And I went and I read them. Okay. And here's what I'll say about Pizzagate. The emails are extremely weird. Okay, they were yeah. talking, John Podesta and a lot of the DNC staffers and stuff like that were talking about something in coded language. They were talking about it in coded language. I don't know what it is. A lot of people speculated it's this or that. It just so happens that those code words line up with what the FBI said was sex crime uh, language, sex crime. Correct. Does it mean that they're doing that? I, I don't know. Could I believe it? Sure, I could. Because I, I, these things are real. And I have teammates that have worked on sex trafficking. And I'm sure you know, too. That stuff does happen. And it's, and it's all around you, unfortunately. Yeah. So they were talking about something in a coded language. And Donna Brazil admitted, before the Democrat Party got a hold of the narrative, Donna Brazil went on um, an interview and said, we were the victims of a crime. We were hacked. She didn't say they were fabricated. She said they were stolen and that they were hacked. And when I looked at the data and I said, all right, Dave admitted these things were stolen. They were hacked. They were not fabricated. WikiLeaks has come out and said, I dare you to disprove that these are real. I dare you to, I dare you to, to find evidence that we have faked anything or that any of this is, um, is false. And uh, not long after that, he had to go into, uh, into hiding in the, what, what was it, in London, in which consulate, which country? Some um, South Africa, South American. Are you talking country. about talking about Julian? Julian Assange. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, he was the um, the Argentinian. Argentinian embassy in embassy. London. Embassy in London. He had to go hole up in there not long after all of this stuff came out, which I'm sure isn't connected. But anyway, I'm not going to say that it was or it wasn't. But they kept using one of the code words was for pizza, and pizza happened to line up with the FBI. Um, well-known for 30 or 40 years, the language that sex traffickers use for different types of, of sex slaves and people that, they're, that, they, that they have. So that's Pizzagate. Go ahead. So what's been coming out lately is, you know, this group QAnon. Um, if, if you're not familiar with that, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an online group that, that works at exposing the, what they believe is the truth. Um, has been releasing um, a, a lot of kind of breadcrumbs through 4chan um, to include a lot of links and whatnot of uh, photographs, paintings, uh, all of all of the, uh, the evidence that was, you know, p- pictures taken of evidence and photos and stuff from Epstein's mm-hmm. uh, arrest from his home, his multiple homes. Mm-hmm. Um, also some some artwork that was recovered uh, when they went into Podesta's house with John Podesta. It was paintings brother. of children. It was naked children, children. Yeah. Naked children in, in almost sacrificial um, poses. I have Um, seen, I saw an example of somebody did like an MTV cribs interview of John Podesta and they went to his house and you can find this article online. We'll try to find it and link it for you. Um, He has a statue, a golden statue of a body in his, in by his stairs in his house in this photo. And the statue was of one of Jeffrey Dahmer's murder victims. Correct. It was the pose that they found. It was the pose that they found this body in. I don't care what your threshold for belief 
of conspiracy or belief of theory is, that's fucking weird. Right. I don't care what you believe. You can say none of that stuff's true all day, but that right there, my friend, is bizarre. And Mm -hmm. he was one of the most powerful people in America, almost the president's uh, right-hand man. Go ahead. Correct. Through, I believe, two different administrations. Yeah. He was with he was with Bill Clinton and he was with Obama. And then he transferred over to, I believe, assist Hillary with Yeah, he was he was her he was her campaign manager. Um, that's right. During during her presidential run. Yeah. Yeah. So Very powerful. Di- really digging into this and kind of, you know, being objective and taking taking it everything with a grain of salt and trying to form my own opinion, you know. Um it's it's been it's been hard to dive into. Um, I had been looking up a lot of this stuff prior to this year's Golden Globes when mm. we all saw Ricky Gervais get up there. Now, the majority of people saw his last six minutes of that entire opening. Yeah. Um, talked about, you know, come up here and get your little award and fuck off, but you have no business talking to anybody on stage about your beliefs or trying to influence them. That's really the only thing that, that got posted on social where Tom mm-hmm. Hanks made a point and everybody was real quiet in the room if you watch the whole thing in more words or less calls out pretty much the entire audience on their involvement with pedophilia sex trafficking rings you know how did you guys get here epstein was arrested did you have to take your own plane these sort of things that he was putting out there and he kept on saying every time he got a negative response from the audience shut up i just don't care yeah this is my last time yeah, yeah, look at this guy getting up there and saying some shit that a lot of people, you know, they admitted they about. all knew about Harvey Weinstein. Correct. They all knew that he was taking advantage of women in exchange for money, in exchange for getting becoming successful. Right. I read this the former CEO of Reddit, Ellen Powell. Um, they call her Chairman Powell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um she posted in a discussion with somebody on the site um, that they all knew about Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey mm-hmm. Epstein and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They all knew. Now, you could you could easily say, well, they all knew, but they were powerless and they called it. No, okay, you, sure. I've known about things that were going on that I, that I didn't say anything about, but I wasn't the one going out and saying there was some kind of systemic injustice and blaming somebody else for it. Right. When I knew all along who was perpetrating the perpetrating it, so you're you're what 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 part of that specifically have you been digging into right now? Um, I've just been trying to basically create as much linkage as I possibly can, and and a lot of it is coming back, um, leaning more towards the side that that this does exist, these things are going on, um, and and something needs to be done about it. So now, to give people some background. Right before you jump into that, I'm sorry for for derailing you. Q no, Anon and Q, um, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. So recently, Twitter banned six thousand accounts that were that were supposedly linked to Q and Q Anon. What right. it is is uh, a few years ago, I think it was around the time that Trump was running or or that he won. Um, uh, an individual post began posting to 4chan, which is anonymous website um and it's based around anonymous being anonymous although you can adopt a a title for your post if you want you can id yourself but by and large it's anonymous this individual began posting things that were more or less true and seemed to have true insider knowledge into the um the workings of washington this looked like a, a true political government insider who was well positioned probably within the Trump campaign, because it usually was something related to here's what's going on. Here's what that what's being investigated. Here's how the Trump campaign is fighting back and so on. Some of it seemed to be knowledge that you could only have if you were truly an insider. Now here's the issue. Okay. And this is what is going to be used against anybody that says they, they they go along with it. A lot of it was unverifiable. The by the nature of how it's posted is anonymous, and that person would remain anonymous if they're smart anyway. And mm-hmm. it would be impossible to say that anybody that posts is the same person. So it could have been 10,000 individual different people 
some of which are completely full of it and have nothing to do with it at all. Correct. So there has been, there was a lot of information that seemed to be, um, that seemed to be voracious, have, have veracity and have reliability. And that the people that posted it likely had true, um, true access to that information. Um, but there was some of it that seemed like what they call a LARP, a live action role play, which is just, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's, it's a internet slang for somebody who's faking it. Right. Right. Go ahead. Um, we need to go back and touch on one thing because I did put out a little bit of fake news when I agreed with you on, on, on one thing. And that was okay. that Julian Assange was residing at the Ecuadorian Ecuador, not the Argentinian embassy okay. in London. So Ecuador. We'll clear, okay. that, clear that up. I don't like putting out fake shit. Yeah. Um, Got to keep it real in the field. So as far as, as far as my kind of journey down the rabbit hole, it, it, it got a little bit more, it, again, with pictures and kind of an explainable timeline of everything that's been going on uh, to really paint a better picture was, um, you know, found a video on YouTube that a lot of people, uh, including um, some of the folks on 4chan were pointing to. And the video kept disappearing from the YouTube platform. Um, and I was able to locate it and find it in its entirety. There were a couple, it's, it's a 10 part series and it's called Fall of the Cabal Parts 1 10. Mm. And that's how you have to write it to find it currently. And we can put a link in, in the uh, yeah. podcast later. But um, there were specific uh, episodes of that, um, Parts 5 and Parts 6, that were, that were always being removed from the 1 through 10 series. And I was able to find all of them and, and, and watch it start to finish. It's a little bit under three hours, but it's, um, it's kind of a good representation of everything that you're, you're reading about and seeing, and it builds a very nice timeline visually. Um, for me, that was helpful because, you know, you try to explain this through words to somebody and, you know, they, they hear, I, I remember speaking to my mother about it. My mother's got a, a long history in, uh, she was a DJ on the radio and she's, she's been in that side of the industry. So to, to, to really try to explain this from start to finish with her, I could only imagine what it was like listening to me on the other line being like, <laughs> my son, you know, this is something really wrong with him. But you sound wacky was, when you try to explain yeah, it you to do. somebody you without context. Correct. You sound like a conspiracy theorist. So when I've been sharing this information, some of my thoughts on it, and I, I know you and I have talked about it, it's, it's so much easier to be like, listen, here's, what, here's what's kind of going on. And I've got a pretty good idea about it. I want you mm -hmm. to watch this because mm -hmm. this visual representation is the best representation I've found of all of these things by mm -hmm. putting it all together and then for, form your own opinion. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. not telling you to change your mind. Just go digest it, do your own research, go down the rabbit hole a little bit. And, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe it catches, maybe it doesn't, but it's, you know, it's an Alex Jones effect. For, yeah, exactly. And I almost feel compelled to teach people about this because if this is actually what's going on this is a new level of fucked up man a mm -hmm. new level and what would it take i mean it becomes a little despairing when i know that certain things are happening and it seems like nobody's ever held accountable nobody goes to jail correct and and then i thought about it. I mean, you know i see people online talk about well they're not doing enough trump's you know he he he's full of shit well first off he keeps campaign promises he's kept more campaign promises than any president that i know of and he's been under siege under assault i mean i guess people have now a collective blind spot for the fact that he was under an impeachment investigation for 2 years correct 2 years two i mean years. specifically designed to uh to hamper his ability to influence the political landscape. Um, and you could, you could easily convince me that they're doing that out of a sense of desperate um, defense, out of a defensive uh, sense, go on the offense because else we're going we're gonna to get taken down or whatever. Now, is there some grand global conspiracy? Um, I don't know. But do all of the people that control all of the media, social media, and half of the politics in this country and most of the global corporations all come from the same political party? Yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah. So is that the grand global conspiracy? I mean, it depends on, I guess, what you call it. Um, and I, it's what I was talking about earlier, the Alex Jones effect. One of the things that our side doesn't do well, never done media well, 
and get somebody like Alex Jones and he'll talk about, he went on Joe Rogan and this is where I kind of watched him for the first time. He went on Joe Rogan and he's like, Joe, they're psychic vampires and they thrive on human emotion and they're part of the thing. And, and, and Joe would stop him and say, all right, stop, <laughs> go back. What is a psychic vampire? You absolute nut job. And he would yeah. go, okay, listen, I'm saying interdimensional psychic vampires, blah, blah. Here's what these people believe. And he would bring up an article in which uh, one of these people is talking about some, some part of like quantum physics. And I'm like, okay, okay, that's true. Mm -hmm. They believe that and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then, all right. right, What about the vampire thing? And he's like, all right, let me explain that. And then he would talk about how, how the suffering and so on and so forth. He, he is a madman and he's extremely hyperbolic. But when Joe would nail him down and say, explain to me what you mean, he would go search for this, Jamie. And Jamie would pull up an article in which, you know, published on in big news media, yep. like the Washington Post, or the New York Times. And he never not he never didn't have an article you could link to that gave him the evidence. And yeah, that's the most important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so does it mean go, go run and listen to InfoWars? No. But what I'm saying is he, he was so hyperbolic that he lost people because he couldn't explain himself. Yeah, and that's the thing. You, get, you know what you're talking about. You're the one mm-hmm. that's inundated yourself with all of this data and this information, and you're trying to process it on your own. Yeah. And then when you try to spew it out to somebody, it's just like – You look like that always like, sunny meme where he's got all the yarn and the, the yeah. notes and he hasn't slept yep. in three days. 100%. 100%. Like, uh, I don't know, you watch the show Homeland? No, no. <laughs> right. Anyway, it, it, it's a show on Showtime about that follows this, this very, very active CIA case agent who happens to be bipolar and she's a nut job. Um, but she's out there solving the world's problems. But she's like that. She'll, she'll make those boards in her house. <laughs> Lines everywhere, photos, color-coded, sticky notes, all that shit. Which used and to be the, how- way, the way that foxes worked. It used to be the way until, until people worked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, on, on, but on physical boards. That's what my mind looks like when I'm trying to explain this. And I'm pulling from each different corner of the board and I can picture because I try to I always try to step out of my own world and into the world of the listener as I'm speaking. And mm-hmm. sometimes it causes me to, you know, take a mental pause and lose my train of thought because I'm doing so many different things analytically in regards to the mm-hmm. conversation that I'm having with them. And I'm hoping that I'm not sounding like a crazy person. Myself. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people tell me that so for instance the feedback on our my first two episodes our first two episodes i did here that it meanders because i i go stream of consciousness and i and i i go from step to step so i try to talk about things in an order but that means i gotta meander if i'm gonna explain something that has let's say a thousand years of historical depths i have to take you through that process because i feel like i have got to explain it else i sound like a nut job Correct. So you kind of kind of stuck. You either sound crazy, like there's interdimensional dimensional psychic vampires, and they're 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 putting chemicals in water that turn all the frogs gay, and you're like, what? What? <laughs> back, up. Back, back up. Let's start with interdimensional. And if you don't take people through that, but to do that, you have to cover so many different topics that a lot of times it sounds like you're meandering. So I'm trying to find the balance there with explaining to people. Okay. Um, you believe there is such thing as white privilege. Let's back up. All right. Mm-hmm. First, you tell me what you think that is. And then let them tell me. All right. All right. So how can we prove or disprove it? First off, do you have any proof? And they'll say something fallacious, something that's false. And you'll say, all right, let me, let me address the problem. The, <laughs> the problem is that I don't have a, a, a statistics run sheet in front of me in the moment where I'm talking to somebody. <laughs> right. I can go back and I can tell you all the data. A lot of times I have to say, well, uh, Clarence Thomas told me that and he's got the data or Thomas Sowell told me that he's got the data or Marty Friedman uh, or, or, or uh, blah, blah, blah. And I have to re- refer people. So it's hard uh-huh. for me to argue. In the, I'm not a good dialogian in terms of uh-huh. people. I was like, you should go and argue with people and, 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 and debate. And so like, I'm terrible at that because I just want to fight in the end. It, I was just going to say that. <laughs> so much get to punch you in your mouth and continue on with my day. And then I look like the, the, the bad guy. Correct. 
with with white privilege. With white, with walking away with my white privilege, yeah. <laughs> Here's another. Listen closely, please. Learn so much, or represented in various occupations. Uh, you're not going to be an engineer unless you've got an engineering degree. Uh, and if blacks' degrees are in education, then we don't expect to find blacks represented in engineering in proportion to blacks in the society. So that's an example in which our cultural choice determines our income. Our income is, is partly due to the income gap between blacks and whites. Is that part of it? Yes, yes. But that's true not only with blacks and whites, it's true right across the board. Uh, the difference between Asians and, Hispa and Hispanics, for example, at the, at the Ph.D. level and earlier, uh, is uh, slightly greater than that between blacks and uh, Asians, or certainly greater than that between blacks and whites. So the black-white difference that we're always com comparing is not at all unique. The, the, the income difference between Japanese Americans and Puerto Ricans is higher than that between blacks and whites. And yet if you explain the black-white difference in terms of the unique history of blacks, you are left out of the limb wondering, well, then why then do the Japanese exceed the Puerto Ricans by so much when their history is absolutely different from either of those two groups? Now, you point out that the third world is larger than the first world, the Western world, and the second world, the communist bloc combined. Yes. But you, you don't feel that there's much cohesion there or much probability of it working as a unit. No, no. One of the reasons that they're poor is because of the lack of cohesion. That If you spend your time fighting each other instead of uh, working things out, uh, you, you can't expect to do as well as people who uh, work things out. Now, unfortunately, in the West, many of that working things out has meant that the strong have conquered the weak. What about the role of politics in, in the economic future of blacks in this country? Again, I would draw upon uh, the experience of other countries and other, other uh, groups. I can't think of a single group anywhere in the world that has risen from poverty to affluence through politics. There are any number of groups that have risen from poverty to affluence through almost every other conceivable means. When I look at the groups that have had spectacular rises, like the Jews or the Chinese, they are almost invariably groups that stayed away from politics. And they usually stayed away until after they became affluent. Some of them, them could then afford to go into politics. But that was not the mechanism by which they got where they are. What was the mechanism? Uh, basically work, skills, saving. Now, you're saying then that the, that the train of the black community in terms of voter registration and political power, uh, political empowerment, is on the wrong track. I think that if what you expect out of that is economic advancement for the mass of black people, now if all that you're looking for is some advancement on the part of the, of the leaders, or if what you're looking for uh, is something like what happened in the Civil Rights Revolution, where you needed to get the Southern Jim Crow system broken, that was an enormous achievement through politics, as I point out in the book. Uh, so it's not that politics can't do anything. It's a question that politics, like everything else, has some things it can do and some things it can't do. And from what I've seen of groups around the world economically, one of the things it seems not to be able to do is raise groups from poverty to affluence. So here's how you know everybody, you know, on this train today saying that black people in America are disadvantaged, they're full of shit, and that they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Because <clears throat> these policies have been in place to give these people an advantage for, uh, well, certainly since this was published in 1984, uh, 36 years ago. And uh, the statistics around surrounding the black population only got worse. And they only got worse until Donald Trump. Uh, and they haven't really gotten much better. But yet, the argument today is not that blacks don't have access to the system properly, but it's that they're still disadvantaged because of their history. And yet, a mountain of data exists for all of human history to show that that isn't true. 